This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Downey. This week's guest is Minnesota U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, providing individualized protection of more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar next. America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. With crop prices falling, farm income plummeting, and Mother Nature wrecking havoc, the private sector crop insurance infrastructure is more important today than ever. Providing individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. With the completion of the Republican National Convention last week, the country's focus turns to Philadelphia and the Democratic National Convention. Agriculture, trade, and rural issues likely to be the subject matter for some of the week's debate. Minnesota U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar will be among Democratic leaders this week who have points to share on the future of the country. I know I'm going to be stopping by and addressing the rural caucus of the Democratic Party, and I hope that from an agriculture standpoint that we'll have some discussion of some of the rural issues. I think that's important. Um, I think basically people want to see a vision and a positive vision. Um, there's a lot of negativity at the Republican convention, and I'm sure at the Democratic one there'll be some too, um, but I'm hopeful that we'll be able to hear a positive vision uh, going forward, because that's what I hear from people. They want to figure out how they're going to get access to broadband, the opiate crisis, which has hit every rural community, uh, doing something about college and making it more affordable and targeting kids' education so they're actually getting degrees and educated in the areas where their job opening. So, you know, I'm hoping we're going to hear about some of that. Can you help to explain some of the goals and objectives of the Senate Broadband Caucus that you're a part of? Yes. Um, this is something that's a bipartisan caucus with Shelley Capito, the Republican of West Virginia, and Angus King, the Independent of Maine, Senator Heitkamp, and myself, North Dakota and Minnesota, um, and then uh, Senator Bozeman of Arkansas. And we came together because we're still just not at all satisfied with the status quo that 39% of Americans in rural America lack access to broadband. You know, sure, it used to be, can they get dial-up and have some access? Well, some of them can. But it's not the kind of high-speed access that you need to farm or to run a small business. And I believe that kids that grow up in rural America should be able to live in rural America. And that means getting the kind of access that we need. Is rural broadband now considered still a luxury, or is this more of an essential service, much like telecommunications and, and even electricity from years ago? Well, it's become more and more essential. When you have farmers that are having to drive into town and do business in the McDonald's parking lot or, you know, companies like Genio that actually built fiber to farms so that they could measure the temperature of the barns with the avian flu epidemic that we had last year, um, that's not doable for all of rural America. And um, I think it's much better if we just had actual broadband uh, to the farm and to the towns. And so... Things have changed, and business has changed, and that's what I'm so struck by. Ten years ago, people were just talking about getting any access. 
And now they want to have the kind of access that you have in the urban areas, and they should get it. And that's why we're looking at things like the Universal Service Fund, which is a huge amount of money uh, set aside that people pay on their phone bills, uh, which goes to things like underserved areas, uh, like rural and then low-income areas, and taking a chunk of that money and investing that in broadband. Senator Thune, uh, the head of the Commerce Committee in which I serve, and I joined together. We got over 60 senators on a letter to the FCC saying, let's start um, doing more on the Universal Service Fund, and they actually responded and have put some money out there. So I think that uh, the more we can do in finding creative ways to fund rural broadband, that's what this pockets is about. A few weeks ago, we had Shirley Bloomfield, the CEO of the NTCA, the Rural Broadband Association, also on the same program. And she mentioned that rural broadband was also a part of education and economic development and even health care for rural communities. Yes. Um, you look at the fact that now you want to have health care in rural communities, but you want to get them the best available expertise. Uh, one of the ways with increasingly complicated, complex medical um, availability on the internet, you like in procedures, and you can consult with a doctor at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, when you're in a small town uh, in Worthington, Minnesota, you can consult with someone. And so, what we want to be able to do is use more and more broadband access so that doctors can do their everything from scheduling to getting medications to checking medication lists uh, to be able to um, actually consult with experts. And the more we go with this, they could be consulting with them in the middle of a surgery. Um, and that way, rural patients are going to get the best access to health care, and all of that requires high-speed access. Senator, some broader questions with regard to the industry of agriculture. I would ask this with a broad stroke. Where would Minnesota agriculture be without access to global markets? Well, global markets are very, very important uh, to our ag producers. Uh, we've got... You know, we are in Minnesota first for uh, sugar beets, and uh, we are for sweet corn. Uh, we're first, we're second for hogs, something that people are pretty surprised by. I think, you know, Iowa's first, but we're right next door. We can see Iowa from our porch. Um, and so uh, we have a lot of exports, um, particularly to Asian countries and to um, do a lot of trade with Canada, our biggest trading partner. Um, and so uh, it's very, very important to be able to, and that's why a lot of my work has been when, you know, there's a barrier in Cuba, it's a trade embargo, but oftentimes it's a country saying, oh, you know, we've got H1N1, and so, um, which, of course, they wrongly called swine flu, so we're not letting your pork in. Well, that is just not true. It's completely safe uh, in the U.S., and so it's really pushing some of these countries and working with the administration to open their doors when they close them. Uh, for no good reason. Being a senator from a farm state, is it a concern when some of the candidates, the leading candidates for the White House now, are not showing as favorable of an attitude toward global trade? Well, you know, it's my hope. Uh, people always can just trade agreements, um, and I haven't supported everyone. I support some, don't support some, but it's always easy when it's not yours. And so my hope is whoever's president, um, and uh, Secretary State Clinton has made clear she supported some trade agreements, not supported others, that they can then negotiate their own trade agreements if that's to happen, um, and then they are like them. So I think the U.S. will continue to be a global powerhouse, and I think part of this is just people wanting to get the best provisions in trade agreements to support American workers. 
And that's where the rub is, not that people think we should totally close our doors down. With regard to your legislation in Cuba, is that the complete elimination of the embargo, or is it rolling it back to provide a better opportunity for agriculture? Mm-hmm. Well, this is there are provisions. Uh, there are, I've been on bills before that just focus on agriculture, and I still am. But actually, this actually lifts the embargo, because I've become convinced if we just lift the travel ban, which is the conventional wisdom, that's what we'll do first. And we may. I'm on that bill as well. But suddenly we're going to have 5 million Americans a year traveling just 90 miles to an island of 11 million people. And they can do it by boat. They can do it by plane. There's going to be this influx of tourism. And if we're not careful and we don't lift the embargo to allow ag products in and construction and ag machinery and other things, pretty soon these Americans are going to be sleeping in Spanish hotels in Cuba and eating Chinese food because uh, we're going to lose out on this market. And I have been at the port, the new port there, Mariel, um, and it's big, big port, and we want American ships and American goods to be uh, landing in that port. Um, and right now, just to give you an example, that port um, was financed um, uh, by South Americans and Brazilians, um, and the computer system is Chinese, and almost all these other ports have American computer systems, but they're not allowed to do that, and I just don't think that's good for the Cuban people, and it's not good for ag country, and it's not good for America, and so our hope is that by lifting the whole embargo, um, we would be in the best place in terms of doing business. One interesting agriculture perspective, having been there now with um, Secretary Bill Sachs, uh, with uh, the president um, and meeting with that group there is there's a real opportunity uh, for organic agriculture in Cuba because, um, and I know some of our domestic providers sometimes concerned about the competition. Um, well, as you know, we have a big organic market here and we can make about 1% of it, about, about 20% of what we need, about 5% of the needs are, um, are uh, organic right now. And so there's a big market there for organic produce where they could big scale, not just little farms, but big scale, start doing organic because of the land quality and those kinds of things and get certified right away. So that's one of the things that Biltec is pushing for, and I don't think that would directly be competitive nearly as much because uh, we need more organic. So that was an interesting thing that I learned over there. Uh, the other one, and I'll end with this on Cuba, is just um, just the amazing change that we've seen in the attitude of the American people and the Cuban people with us on the plane last summer where we opened the embassy with Secretary Kerry were three Marines, um, Mike, Larry, and I think the other guy's name was Joe or something like that. And they um, had uh, come with us because they were the ones that were given a really difficult job 50-some years ago of taking the American flag down over the embassy when we closed it to jeering crowds. And one of them turned to the crowds and said, we will return. And 50-some years later, those old Marines were back, and they handed a new flag to three young Marines who hoisted it up over the embassy. And it just gives you that sense that things can change um, and our relations with other countries can change. So we see this as a real opportunity. One more thought on Cuba. Secretary Vilsack sending a representative next month for a three-month detail and is rumored to be asking Congress for another million and a half dollars to have permanent staff there. Would that help? Uh, yeah, because you want to get, you know, these European countries, they've been around there a lot more than us because they don't have an embargo. Now, they haven't been totally investing in Asian because the economy is such a mess and they've got two currencies. 
But once they can detect that these Americans are going to start coming, and they are, they're probably coming at about a million a year now with the changes made by the administration, they're going to be upping their game and investing, and we want to be able to meet that competition. And so that's why I think it's really important to try to up the personnel we have in Cuba basically so we can compete. If anyone's ever visited embassies abroad, yes, some of it's security and diplomacy and helping people with their passports, but there's a major role they play economically so our businesses can get contracts. And when our businesses get contracts, that means more jobs in America. Senator, there are those who are talking about new policy and suggesting that for a new farm bill that nutrition and agriculture programs should be split. What are your thoughts? My thought on that is big trouble, even if for some reason you thought it was a good policy idea. And I'm sure a lot of folks out there are like, oh, why don't we have those separate? We need the votes right now of the people that are more focused on child nutrition and those things to pass the farm bill. Because it used to be that every single member in rural states would vote for the farm bill. Well, that has changed. We have a number of Tea Party conservative Republicans who actually don't vote for the farm bill. Uh, most of the moderate Republicans and the Democrats that represent farm areas do. So that leaves you with a hole. You don't have enough numbers to get the bill passed, and that means you need some Democrats and a few Republicans that represent states that have significant urban populations that are willing to vote for the farm bill. And so that's how we put our coalition together, the last two farm bills, and without that, we wouldn't be able to make that coalition. With regard to the renewable fuel standard, the EPA's volume obligation proposal for 2017 is still under the statute. I understand you and Senator Grassley have a letter and message for the EPA. Well, we do, and we um, really have been pushing on this because we see biofuels as not just a boutique fuel, it's like 10% of our fuel supply right now, and they basically, while we're trying to compete against the major force of oil, they were pulling the rug out from under us with that proposal they made on the biofuel standard, which was different than we felt it should be as members of the Senate uh, that put it forth. So they did make some changes, which we've uh, really, really appreciated, uh, but we'd like to see even more changes going forward because, you know, we basically urged the agency for a strong RFS to support U.S. jobs in the economy, and this has never been a partisan issue. It's always been a bipartisan issue. Does the agency have the right to set a standard that is below the statute set by Congress? Um, well, they've used some um, rulemaking ways to do this um, and have been, I'm sure, you know, whether there's lawsuits or not, I don't know. Uh, but they did have some leeway under the statute depending on, you know, what they could, findings they could make which would support them making these changes. And so that's why we pushed back and said you're wrong with the reasons you've used because we think what you're doing is going to severely impact the development of advanced biofuels. And so that's why we had some pretty liberal senators who are not from big ag states on our side because they said, um, along with, you know, conservative Republicans who cares about this in our state, they said, this isn't right. You're going to actually stop the development of of these new advanced biofuels that are better environmentally, certainly better than oil. And so we had some good arguments, and we keep pushing back at them that they're going to chill investments and other things. And, you know, we're glad they made some improvements, and we'd like to see even more. As polar and as partisan as the Congress has been in this election year, a standalone piece of legislation through the Senate and through the House with regard to mandatory disclosure of biotech labeling. Are you mm-hmm. re- are you relieved with that effort? Um, uh, well, slightly. <laughs> it's been on for 
a really long time. And, you know, I have a lot of people in my state that want to know what's in their food, and I can totally understand this. And But as we were pointing out, okay, so if you just let one state, Vermont, have this law, you know there have been efforts in places like California and Oregon to pass these, and they've actually gone down because the consumers have said, well, one, we don't think once they get the facts, we don't really see the health issues. But two, we don't want our cost of food go up by doing this um, just in one state. So, in fact, if we had just let the Vermont law go and not uh, preempted it with a federal standard, uh, we would have, one, have allowed one state to decide what goes on our entire nation's food supply because of the way distribution is done. Um, and then, two, the other states wouldn't have gotten any labels at all. And so that's why this was a compromise. It basically says we're not just going to go with Vermont. They like, you know, beautiful, beautiful state, and we appreciate their groundbreaking work. But we're going to have a federal standard, which, of course, gives some time for companies to develop these labels and then also allows uh, the labels to be on package or um, to be on a smartphone or other things because we're going to, you know, a lot of consumers, like my daughter's allergic to cashews and pistachio, so... I'm not really looking for GMOs because I know they're safe, right? I'm just looking to see, does it have cashews and pistachios? So I think more and more with more defined interest by consumers, the smartphone label is going to become something, as Secretary Vilsack says, of the future. Because while set things will remain on packages, you're also going to want to have certain things, more detailed content on iPhones for people who have kids with food allergies or other things. Are you comfortable with the USDA writing those regulations? Yeah, I think it's better to have some experts write them instead of a bunch of senators, yes, even though, you know, I love my fellow senators. <laughs> Senator Klobuchar, we want to thank you so much for spending time with us here on Open Mic. And the title of the program is Open Mic, and, Senator, that gives you an open forum. Well, thank you very much. Um, first of all, I want to say that uh, I was pretty impressed by the coalition we put together on the uh, biotech uh, the labels because we had to really reach out to some uh, Democrats who don't have a lot of ag and make the case for agriculture and the new agriculture and feeding people in places like Africa and drought-resistant seeds. And we really made our case despite a lot of uh, political opposition. And it made me feel better that people were listening to the facts, came up with a compromise that would work, and I'm hopeful that can be a model as we go forward as we deal with issues of biofuels and some of the attacks we've seen on biofuels, as we deal with the attacks that we've seen on um, on rural America. Um, and I've noted this on this program before, but one of the best things we have in my state is the Minnesota State Fair, the biggest in the country except for Texas. We don't really count Texas because, you know, come on now, they're open a whole month and they're a really big state. And this fair is located in the middle of the Twin Cities. And I have always found that most people would say, well, that's hard to get to for a farmer. But what happens is all the farmers come, they see all the city people, and all the city people remember where the food came from. They see the biggest hogs. They are able to go to machinery. They are able to see uh, how honey is made, and they're able to see crop art. And it just brings these two worlds together. And I think that is one of our goals as a member of the Agriculture Committee, working with uh, Colin Peterson, my friend from Minnesota, the ranking on the House Committee, is to really make that case uh, for the how agriculture and the rural economy are the backbone of our country. And whether we need um, uh, making sure as we go forward uh, that we get the Farm Bill re-upped, we know there's other issues facing rural America, too, and that's 
broadband access, as we talked about today. Uh, that is making sure that we have housing. That's become a huge crisis that the economy has improved and trying to find innovative ways to get money for housing. And the third thing that I don't think anyone expected five years ago was this opioid addiction and the epidemic spreading across rural America. So we just passed a bipartisan bill on that. I'm hoping to get more money for treatment, and we're really working this because these are unique challenges in rural areas that we didn't have maybe 10, 20 years ago uh, that need to be fixed. So I'm uh, looking forward to going to visit with a number of our farming communities in rural areas. In August, I visit all 87 counties every single year. In some of the counties with one small town, I think I know everyone in it. Uh, but it's a great part of my job, and I'm honored to be on the Agriculture Committee. Our thanks to Minnesota U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, providing individualized protection on more than 290 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Downey.